What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Bread, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF Racing. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line. A very special guest comes from another media sphere, uh, which is, uh, I wouldn't say a rival or even a competition to um, uh, Big MX Radio. They're more of uh, an aspiring uh, media outlet, and uh, that is, of course, Moto Playground, uh, uh, an outlet that I look for, I grew up loving and just uh, and taking in a ton of, and uh, whether it be the pickle, whether it be uh, the 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 Instagram, the Facebook, the you name it, and uh, Bub Lannon, Bub, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you? Hey, not doing too bad, my friend. It's Tuesday. It's Two Stroke Tuesday, so uh, we're, uh, we're all, all systems go, and uh, we're, we're pre mixing. We're, we're mixing gas. We're hauling ass, and uh, I'm looking forward to having you on the show, man. This is going to be uh, a great conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, no problem at all. And uh, for those who don't already follow you on social media, where can they find you? Where can they find that uh, the social media handles? Because uh, they're going to want to follow you after they're done this uh, conversation. So maybe get them started with that. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but um, it is at Bub Lannan Media. So that's B-U-B-B-L-A-N-N-A-N Media, M-E-D-I-A. And also Moto Playground. Yes, Definitely follow both of well. that. I, I highly doubt they're not already following Moto, Moto Playground. If they aren't, shame on them. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let it slide for this evening. Hopefully, by the time uh, they're done listening to this, they'll be uh, full-blown addicts, as you and I are, to that publication. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so this last weekend, you're in uh, Thunder Valley, Colorado, uh, the, uh, in Lakewood, Colorado, Thunder Valley National unbelievable race we saw battles we saw well not so much in the 450 class but we saw we saw some great racing and uh we saw um an eli tomac extend his race um streak wins by going uh six for six and uh we also saw a, a leads change in the uh, 250 class yet again um from your perspective as uh, an avid motocross uh, enthusiast and was someone who covers the sport tell me what you saw this last weekend 
Well, the 250s was just like kind of a madhouse. And I, I always tell everyone it's kind of crazy when you're actually shooting photos because that's the main thing I do is I shoot photos. So when you're out there, and especially in the 250 class this weekend, it's like they're going by so so fast and the pack was so tight that you have to like shoot every other one. And then the next lap, you have to start, you know, like on the odd numbers and shoot them. And it was just absolutely insane. Um, just as a summary anyways. And then the four fifties were kind of like you said, not really any battles, but it was awesome to see Roxon hold off for another 20 minutes, hold off the hard charging number one, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Like I said, it's a, it's a lot different watching it on TV and actually taking in what place people are in and how they're doing, um, versus shooting. So like when I'm shooting, it's, com- I have like that experience, which is, obviously what i live for and then i come yeah. home and i watch the broadcast and it's like a totally different it's like i wasn't even there almost you know for sure like, i I, so I swear it, that, oh sorry go ahead no it's i was just gonna say it's just hard to it's hard to take in when you're shooting what is actually happening in the race i know that sounds kind of weird but even in supercross i mean you see who wins and everything but you know the focus is just different so it's cool because i get to play both sides if you know what I mean? For sure, you you get to go home, watch the broadcast, but also be uh, not not along the fences, but inside the fences, uh, taking those uh, spectacular shots that you get every single weekend. And and you're totally right. Um, when you're in Title Vision and you're just trying to get the next best shot of uh, whoever's coming down the pipe at you, um, you want to be able to just stay in that moment and and not really worry about or not you're not even really able to. Uh, keep track of who's where. I've often uh, I usually take photos during uh, qualifying during Supercross, and I have to go to the results to look at who was going fast, who wasn't going fast. As far as because you're not really watching, you're 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 aiming that camera and uh, and trying to capture something special. So uh, from from that standpoint, uh, if you're a fan uh, of of motocross and you just wanted to take in the race, working the race is not necessarily your uh, your go to. But uh, you've you found a way to uh, to enjoy uh, the being in the moment of taking the photos, as well as uh, going home and uh, and watching the race and listening to Jason Wygant uh, talk all about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you always have that you know favorite rider, or you, you know you're you're a fan at heart. Everyone is in the industry, right? So you know you have you shoot your favorite rider a little bit more than the others, and then when they're doing good, you know you'll catch yourself like smiling and actually enjoying it but still you know focusing on exactly trying to get that shot it's a it's a pretty surreal honestly i wouldn't change it for anything to be honest for sure and and for for a few of those uh shutter bugs out there that might be listening uh and it might be a little bit curious as to what you shoot with uh and how your uh camera collection has evolved over the years because uh most people start out with something pretty modest and then realizing that uh you need a little bit more glass and you need a little bit more speed to uh to capture those special moments like brown dog does so uh where'd you start at and where where are you shooting with now well, um, let's see, probably like seven years ago, I just started with like a, it was right when the Sony um, NEX 5N came out. So they like just started their mirrorless um, cameras, which this is going to be a little bit different for a lot of people because Canon and Nikon are, you know, the flagships of this of industry. So yeah, I started on this little camera and it was, you know, a uh, crop sensor, of course, just this little thing. And um, I 
I ended up shooting for a friend at, at one, let's see, I think it was like a wedding and this was like seven years ago. And the pictures were like so much better than the actual photographer who shot. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm like, okay, let me, cause I had, you know, I pretty much, I mean, I still ride, but I wasn't really racing anymore at that point. And so I'm like, okay, well I go to a lot of supercrosses cause we were living in California during the winter. So I'll start shooting. So I started doing that and eventually, you know, it evolved as a hobby, completely as a hobby. I never got paid for it for maybe five years. I didn't get paid. And finally my stuff evolved to, I borrowed one of my friends. Um, I had just a basic Sony a seven, which is full frame. And I had, I borrowed a friend's Canon 400 2.8 okay. lens, right? Which is like, you know, the cream of the crop, but. It's a, it, it was a Mark one. So, you know, it weighed 15 pounds and I was just in the stands, but what I was able to capture from the stands with the 400 turned, basically turned, turned it around for me. And I was able to, I was already writing for Moto Playground. I had been for a couple of years and I finally turned to them and was like, this is my real passion. I really want to do this. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And flew to texas that next week and shot with that 400 again and just that one camera with a hundred dollar adapter on it all manual i mean i i always shoot in manual everything but completely manual nothing nothing was auto right so got some good shots and then i just started buying stuff and just <laughs> racking up my credit card <laughs> limit so now i'm now i'm up to uh a couple a7r3s which are sony's flagship cameras now and i have um, a a native lens, a seventy to two hundred two eight. I've got a fourteen two eight, and I've got my my uh, what whatever you say. My my go to lens is of course my three hundred two point eight, a Canon, and I I use the Metabones adapters for those, and the autofocus is unbelievably fast. But I still do mostly shoot manual when I'm actually shooting riding. So. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Was that long enough for you? Uh, I, pff, that's all the information <laughs> that I needed, my friend. Uh, all, I, m- most of what I got out of there is the fact that uh, um, Sony, uh, not totally known for, and I guess like uh, obviously everyone, like 99% of the guys that you see w- walking around, whether it be uh, X Games, Supercross, Outdoor Nationals, you name it, they got a big cannon strap around their necks. And the, and the guys who aren't wearing that, normally have an icon strap around their neck. Uh, you bucked the trend a little bit by going with Sony, uh, a camera. I, I think uh, Casey Davis also runs Sony. But uh, uh, there's a few guys that do, but uh, th- they've actually been putting a lot of research and development into those cameras over the last little while. And uh, and you couple that with, uh, with a Canon lens that basically uh, it, it turns uh, a hobby into uh, something you can go pro at, really. And uh, and you've done exactly that. And uh, I've, I've honestly got to take my hat off to you, man. Uh, some of the shots that you produce each and every single weekend are uh, are that are basically you're you're right up there with the the rest of of the uh, uh, the Simon Cubbies of the world, the Brown on Wilkins Wilsons of the world, or even the uh, <coughs> Ryan Swanbergs of the world. So uh, if you're in that company, that's that's uh, an elite company of guys that are snapping photos at these races, and uh, and it, it's pretty cool to see you uh, rise through that in such such a short period of time. Yeah, thank you. I mean. You know, I really, really appreciate it, but I, man, I work my butt off and every, every single event, you know, I'm up till 5am that night and 
sorting photos, editing photos. You know, we put out grit at um, usually about 9 to 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, which covers the the pretty much the entirety of the race, at least the top 10 of each class in full with all the images. So it's, you know, it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's hard because I love doing it, but it's definitely hard work. And, um, but I, like I said, I wouldn't change it for anything. But I, yeah, I really appreciate um, comparing me to those guys. You know, obviously that's what everyone aims to be, aims to produce stuff like that. And um, I really like using Sony because it is different. That's a huge thing too, is there's a lot of the same stuff coming out too. So I think I get to produce a little bit different stuff with that kind of equipment as well. Absolutely, and it won't be long, I imagine, until uh, uh, someone goes up to um, a guy like Brown Dog Wilson and be like, "Man, you're almost taking as good a sh- uh, photos as uh, as Bob Lennon. That guy's awesome." And he, and he would just have to he would just have to uh, roll his eyes and walk away, as only Brown Dog can. Uh, lo- love Brown Dog, great guy. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, what's the schedule like for you on a weekend? You're, you're flying in either on a on a, are you flying in for press day? Or are you flying in on the Friday before the race? What's a weekend look like for you? And like you said, some long ass hours, especially Supercross. You guys, like, it's not uncommon for me to be texting uh, a, a camera, like a, a photographer, as you guys are still at the stadium at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, still in the photo den, uploading photos, editing photos, while uh, media guys like me are at the bar with James Hansen and the rest of the guys talking about the race that happened, or maybe we're not even talking about that, we're talking about something else, you guys are still at it. Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, so a basic weekend, it just kind of depends on how my week goes at home, which is also completely packed with work. But um, I I really like to fly in Friday mornings earliest uh, possible. So like my I'm not going to go to High Point, but Tennessee I just got my flights, and I'll fly out at one in the morning on Friday from Denver, uh, and I'll land there at nine a.m. And I'm actually flying into Charlotte. So this the uh, the Tennessee round's pretty wild, but um, it's kind of different, but. I'll just give it to you as the example. So I'll fly into Charlotte. I'll rent a car. I'll drive three hours to Blountonville or wherever my hotel is near Muddy Creek. I'll go to the track. I'll shoot press day. I'll go home. I'll sort a little bit, um, you know, submit some stuff for Moto Playground Instagram here and there. And then I'll get a good night's rest. And then I'll be at the track at, I like to be at the track at sunrise to get those like epic morning shots which is a little bit overkill because nothing really happens for like three hours after, but you know, it's the labor of love, right? So do that, shoot all day, shoot all day. Um, go back to the hotel and sort, sort, sort. So I have a ton of different companies I shoot for, not only the magazine, but a bunch of different companies as well. And this is all through Moto Playground. And, I'll probably, I usually am up for motocross. I'm usually done by 3 a.m. But like last weekend, I was up till 5 because the internet kept going out at the house I was staying at, one of my friends. So that was kind of a nightmare. But usually I'll be done about 3. And then, so back to this uh, Tennessee example, 
my I'll fly out Sunday morning to come home at 7 a.m. So I'll have to be at the airport at 5 a.m. So I usually get about two hours of sleep over the course of, you know, two days. Well, you know, nine hours of sleep, let's say, over the course of the whole trip. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so used to it now, and I, I wouldn't change it for anything. For sure. Like you said, this is a labor of love. This is uh, capturing those photos that, uh, like, you're, you're basically, you're capturing the photos that got you this addicted to it in the first place, uh, and maybe passing that down to some young, uh, some young riders who, uh, who need to get totally immersed in the sport themselves. Um, what were the types of, uh, of images and what were some of the, the, uh, publications that you watched and, and you followed along with, uh, as a, as a youngster, uh, still racing motocross and all that fun stuff, uh, as you like kind of got you, uh, so addicted to the sport that you're willing to get nine hours sleep over two days, most likely sunburnt, uh, totally fuck a pair of shoes. Um, and, and basically put a camera through, um, like just through an environment that cameras are no, most usually not meant to be running through. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I always think about that and I think about like when my can't when something happens to one of my cameras or it gets roosted really hard or uh for example last weekend everybody grabs the champagne bottles on the two fifty podium oh god and I run out of the way and I'm getting ready to shoot uh Jeremy Martin across across the other side of the podium and I'm shooting with my three hundred so he's quite a bit away from me and he's getting ready to pop his bottle and here comes Justin Cooper right towards me, pops his bottle right when he gets right in front of me, completely soaks all of my gear. So then I'm frantically just wiping everything down. And and then I always think after those moments, like if I called the camera companies and said, oh, I need a repair or something like that, I got champagne on my camera, they'd be like, why are you getting champagne on your camera? Or dirt, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's awfully crazy. But um publications i mean of course everyone followed transworld and racer x and verb but um honestly since i was a kid i mean i grew up like going to ponca and loretta's in 07 and 06 and 07 and that's when moto playground was like you know the the most prestigious thing in amateur motocross and they still are of course but and you know I, lately we've been going into the pros but honestly moto playground has been the roots of my, um, I'd say obsession since I got into it and I got, I started racing when I was nine. So I'm 29 now. So that's 20 years of moto playground. And here I am now. So no it's doubt. pretty crazy. I also started racing at the age of nine. I am also 29 now, 20 years of experience. And, and here we are uh, on iTunes uh, recording something that uh, wasn't possible when we both got into this. And uh, the funniest thing is I actually got a stack of, uh, of magazines in front of me, mostly from around the 2006, 2007 era. I'm looking at... Uh, uh, Jeff Emig on the 47 machines uh, flying across uh, the front page of um, of Racer X, but a couple of magazines down, I've got uh, some some uh, magazines that are like the the Pickle, which uh, I think one of the one of the covers is none other than uh, I think Nico Izzy's in there. I think like some guys along those lines. I, like that stuff was uh, the stuff that uh, you you would read the magazine, you'd reread it, and then you'd like flip through it again just to examine the photos and all the different uh, uh, the details and intricacies yeah. of every single bike. And I think that's the the kind of 
what's necessary to get to the level that we're at right now where like uh, when people, when I tell people I drive 30 hours to go to California for six weeks and they're like, you're insane. I'm like, I love that drive because I know where I'm going when I'm on that drive. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And I I forgot to mention that I don't live in Denver. I drive four hours to Denver every weekend. That's why I, so there you go. So what's the, the summer look like for you uh, as a schedule? You said you're not going to uh, High Point, but you'll be at Muddy Creek. Uh, how, does the, how does your schedule get laid out for you? Uh, do you kind of make a proposal to uh, uh, Moto Playground as to what you'd like to cover, or do they have like assignment uh, based on your availability? How does that all come together? Um, pretty much all of the above. It just depends. I mean, usually I'll lay out like which – which ones I'd like to do slash like would be available for. So like high point, I have a friend's wedding, so I'm not going to do that. And see, it's kind of weird every year. I have a friend's wedding at high point, but um, yeah, so it, it kind of goes any direction it can be. And then sometimes it's like out of nowhere, like the, the greatest qualifier ever, the regional qualifier for Loretta's is in Ponca this weekend. And it was like almost yesterday, me and my brother, my brother who also works for them, he's Abel Land and he uh, does video for Moto Playground. And we were thinking about just going there this weekend, but I mean, we just can't swing it. And it's about a 10 hour drive for us, which we'd love to do, but it would just, you know, it kills, it kills the 20 hours and it's just not worth it by the time you get there. So yeah, it, like I said, uh, it could be what I'm available for, or like for Supercross, it's, there's a lot of supercrosses where I have family that live in those cities, so I like to do all those, and it just depends. So this summer I'll have, I think I have six more uh, nationals that I'll be doing. Six more nationals. Uh, so you said you've been at two so far. Um, three. yeah, three, two so far, and then so eight altogether. That's the lion's share of, of the nationals. Uh, any chance that we'll see you maybe uh, resurface at uh, a, a race like uh, either, I guess, Ponca City's back now, and then as well as uh, maybe Loretta Lynn's? Yeah, the, uh, well, I, I almost committed to Mammoth, too, but then I, we realized that I was going to Muddy Creek the same weekend that Mammoth is, so that wasn't going to work. But yeah, uh, Loretta's is the plan. Um, I hope to make it there. It just kind of depends. You know, it's kind of, that's a tough one to go to because week long, no service, you know, you're trying to figure out where you're going to stay and all that stuff. So I don't know, me and my brother are trying to plan it out, but definitely Ponca, you know, because Moto Playground is the promoter of that now. And that's a pretty awesome place to go. As anyone our age knows that Ponca's the, the track there is just awesome. And now that Moto Playground is involved, we do a lot of stuff with the Ambucks, which is a pretty eye-opening experience. They actually provide these tricycle tricycles to these like uh, disabled kids, and man, you you want to talk about heartwarming stuff? It's pretty amazing. So we get all the um, the big amateur kids, like you know, like Ryder D. Francisco, Carter Halpane, all those kids, and like we went to the gym. Last year it was inside, so we go to this gym, everybody's playing basketball, and then we do these tricycle races, and it's just, you know, it's nothing but heartwarming fun, and it's pretty awesome to be part of, so. That it is, absolutely. Ponca is definitely the one, yeah. Yeah, and you know what, Moto Playground, and I I remember, I I needed to call up uh, um, 
Harold Martin again because I had him on back in I believe it was 2015, which has been way too long since I last had him on the show. And uh, it's just it's it's an organization that uh, is is so not it's not mainstream. It's uh, they've they've never sold out. They've always uh, done things from the heart and done things with purpose. And uh, that's got to be a great organization to be uh, associated with and to work with on a weekly basis. Uh, you really have the opportunity to uh, really make something special happen uh, with that uh, organization because they really like they, they work really well together. It's a well-oiled machine. They seem to have fun at what they do, whether it be Boom Diggity or whether it's Ponca and all the other uh, amateur nationals throughout. Um, amateur motocross may not be in its heyday of 2005 and 2006, 2007, but uh, I'd like to think that uh, Moto Playground still sheds a light on it like no other. Yeah, and I think I think it's really coming back, you know. I mean, amateur motocross just it fell off in '08. You know, everybody knows what happened in '08, and it was just like, you know, that that was one of the things to go. And families are sacrificing everything for their kids, and they just can't afford it. They it had to stop. So I think that you know the economy's turning back around. And I mean, obviously, we don't want to get into that, but I really think amateur motocross is coming back. Like Ponca last year was crazy, and it was it was amazing how many people were just there and and you can see the you know the heart of the sport is just that's where it's at and it's pretty awesome to see i i really do think it's coming back that it is and and, and it's good good thing uh it's a uh, it's good timing because uh probably now more than ever you see a uh, i wouldn't say depleted but uh uh like the 50s and the 60 classes at local races not nearly what they were uh back then and uh, i think that those numbers need to come up so that we can have a healthy uh future for the sport cuz uh the 50 class of today is what's going to fill the uh the the 250b class of tomorrow so uh you need to take care of that and and uh, host as many schools and as me- as much training as possible and that's where uh a camp like boom diggity comes in which uh from my understanding uh originally there was just one the uh a spring boom diggity and now there's a spring and fall yeah and that's that's something that i haven't been to but I've, I've got a taste of it here and there when we do the the pit bike races like at Ponca, and yeah I, I mean that's nothing but fun and that's for sure but back back to the back to what it's like to work for motor playground um i really like you said, I mean, never a sellout, of course. It's always very artsy stuff, and they really like to keep it like that and keep it like, you know, our our uh, main hashtag is Roots Run Deep, and that's what it is. And, I mean, just like I said, you know, 20 years ago, I have a, a Moto Playground sticker on everything, and 20 years later, here I am, and it's nothing's changed. And, I mean, what what is there to say about that? I mean, that's, you know, that's real stuff. And I really feel like they keep my creative um mind going you know it's like always always pushing you always pushing you creative wise to keep it new and keep it interesting so yeah it's awesome for sure never shy about getting all romantic about the sport of motocross and you guys certainly do a great job of that uh what are some of the uh the the written pieces and some of the uh, photos that you've taken over the the last few years that you're most proud of that uh, you can look back at them even today and be like yeah i crushed it on that or uh, i i still love the way that that turned out <laughs> um well um Let's see. I mean, when I first started, I wrote this article about James 
and it was so cool to see it printed. You know, that was like the first thing that I've ever seen or not printed, but it was a, a PDF or whatever it was. It was online, but, um, an article that I wrote on him and that, I mean, that's like always in the back of my mind. Like that was so cool. And then actually the very next weekend I got an interview with him, which was crazy for me. Cause I'd never, I mean, we've taught, we'd had interviewed a few guys here and there, but you know, James Stewart is different. So, that was like total, I was total fangirling over that, but I actually got the email too late that I had to go to the interview because I got the email while I was at the race. So I missed that. But anyways, I mean, there's, there's not many photos that I don't remember. And I'm sure, you know, as you know, you do some photography as well. It's like when you go back after a night of shooting and you look at, you're looking through the pictures, it's like, you can almost remember every every single picture you can always remember the exact second that you took that or where you were standing or, Oh yeah, that's when I was standing over here. And Oh yeah, that's when I was standing over here or whatever. So it's kind of crazy because, you know, you take, I take like 12,000 photos at a supercross maybe. So, and it's, it's like every single one you can remember. And that's, that's how it is for all of them over the years. I can almost, it's like each one is special because I have so much, you know, I mean, it's like the data inside the photo. I don't. I don't know. It's crazy. For sure, it definitely the memory is a funny thing, and it definitely it brings back that uh, uh, snapshot in time uh, captured by that photo, which is basically evidence of it. It's hard evidence, and uh, I'm totally right. The funniest thing is, I, I've actually had conversations with certain riders that I'll show them the photo, and they'll remember me taking it of them. And they'll be like, they're like, "Yeah, I saw you on the side of the track. I was hoping that you were going to get that shot." Or when uh, Shane McElrath at Phoenix this last year, he like just sent it on the triple, and he was second lap. And he just looked like directly into my lens, and I texted him like, "Were you looking at me on that photo?" He's like, "Yeah, did you get it?" I was like, "Yeah, I did." <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, uh, like, obviously, you've got six more races the rest of this season, and then uh, some some off season stuff, I imagine as well. Um, on top of that busy schedule, uh, what does your weeks look like? Um, I think I, I think I only have five left actually. Five left. Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I miscounted that earlier. I, so, something like that. But anyways, um, my week schedule, well, I move, I move dirt during the week. So I'm okay. a foreman at an excavation company and you know, I build roads and stuff like that and we work 50, 60 hours a week. So, nice. uh, when I'm not doing that, I come home, I'm sorting photos or finding a moment to relax or, you know, riding mountain bikes or trying to find a spare minute to put another hour on my dirt bike that only has 30 hours and I've had it for like three years. So yeah, it's, it's just complete chaos. But in the, with the weeks that are like back to back, like in supercross when I'm flying out on a Friday, flying back on a Sunday, working all week, flying back out on a Friday, flying back on a Sunday, that's like, that's almost like home for me. That's like when I'm gelling. It's like when I, when I take a break, that's almost when it's, it's like, okay, what, what can I do now? You know? Oh, for sure. You almost have to come up with an idea cause you're not used to the, 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 the idea of having that kind of time off. Uh, we're in exactly the same boat, my friend. I, as I too work construction during the week, laying bricks, uh, 
by day and then uh, during the evenings, either doing the podcast like this or uh, trying to squeeze an hour on hour or two on my 2016 KX or uh, KTM SX250, which uh, has about 30 hours, just like yours. Um, so uh, we're in the same boat there. Um, what uh, what was it about motocross that uh, that pulled you in as far as the uh, the life behind bars that that even though you now aren't able to uh, do as much of it as you used to, you still make the time and, and put importance on being able to go out there and twist the loud handle, get that throttle therapy that is needed. Mm-hmm. That's a, man, that's a tough question. Um, especially when you're so young, when you start, but I think everybody kind of has the same answer for that. To, I mean, in, in different ways, but when you start going to motocross races, that's all you want to do, especially as a kid. And you can see it. You can see it in the kids. I mean, in the back of your mind, you know that your parents are doing everything that they have and they're giving you everything that they have just to see you like have that happiness maybe, or, you know, they're living vicariously, vicariously through you to see the success maybe. But I mean, then when it comes down to it, motocross is a family sport and it's probably the most family sport. And I think that, you know, after the first time you go, it's like an addiction. You just can't stop. For sure. It just, they, there's, there's something about it that uh, doesn't allow you to fully put it down. Even if you tried, you couldn't, you couldn't go away from it too far uh, without uh, thinking about it and, and wanting to get back into motocross. And uh, honestly, if I kind of add to your point there, is the fact that like I've played a lot of sports growing up, football, baseball, hockey, uh freestyle skiing you name it um most of which are team sports and not to say that team sports are bad whatsoever but um when it comes to uh tiered hockey or or high school football um if you're if you're great you'll be on the field or you'll be on the ice sheet you'll be you'll be having a good time but if you're not a a top flight athlete you're not on the the upper echelon of that particular team you're going to ride the bench you're you're not going to be having as much fun as everybody else but the reality is with motocross Regardless, if you can barely jump any of the jumps out there, you can barely com- uh, find your way at a neutral, the gate drops for everybody. Uh, and whether you're super fast out there like Ryan Villapoto or you're a mediocre B rider for t- 15 years like Brad Gebhardt, the gate drops for everybody. And that's what I love about motocross is that uh, it's it's something that everyone can enjoy to like regardless of your ability, disability, regardless. If you can, uh, if you can get on two wheels and twist the throttle, there's a gate drop for you. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree, of course. And these questions are making me think of, you know, a lot of different things I haven't thought of in a, in a lot of years. But I know I got sympathetic kind of on that last question. But just the fundamentals of riding, I mean, obviously, you know, it's that's a whole other thing that, like you said, it's just hard to put it down. No matter how far you go away from it, you just kind of come back. And pretty much everyone, I mean, look at, like Villapoto, for example, he just came back and rode that 125 race, and he's going to do Washougal again. And I mean, th- four years ago, or whenever he retired, I don't remember exactly. It's like, okay, he might be one of those guys that never rides again, but yeah, exactly. here he is, you know. Yeah, he, he he's he's uh, moved his moved himself from Washington. Now owns a house uh, down near. Uh, he's, he's not far from uh, Corona, actually. I think he's. 
uh, he, he's in he's in Southern California now. He's riding on a on a quasi regular basis. And like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, a guy that uh, if you you could put a, uh, some smart money on him never riding a dirt bike again, and you'd end up losing that bet because he ended up coming back to it. So uh, if you can get that soured on the sport and end up coming back from it, there's pretty much nothing that's gonna make you uh, not want to uh, get some throttle therapy now and then and and, uh, and come back to things. And speaking of coming back to things. Um, Bub, you're going to have to be a, a repeat offender on this podcast. We're going to have to do a, a number two with you at some point during this summer because I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, you know what you're talking about, and uh, I think we hit it out of the park today. Awesome. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, like you said, I mean, I was a little nervous, and again, finding the time to do this is yes. really the hardest part, or, or committing to a time anyways. And So, yeah, no, I'm really glad we did it. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Glad to have you on. This is a pleasure of mine to uh, to chat with you and, and just uh, speak about the sport that we love uh, enough to uh, to do a lot of what we do for uh, probably a little bit less than what we're, uh, we're we're willing to either lay bricks or build roads for. But uh, um, Bub, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. And uh, we'll, we're we're definitely going to have to do this again. Uh, don't hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs> 